I would ask you if you would please take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Hebrews. We're still in Hebrews chapter 6. We will be reading verses 9 through 12 of Hebrews chapter 6, recognizing that this is God's Word. I would ask you, if you're able, please stand together with me as we read. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we're confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him and you have, uh, as you have helped his people and continue uh, to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make sure and to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Thus far, the reading of God's Word, you may be seated. You can imagine that uh, if uh, you had a, a few days of feeling ill and you don't know exactly what's going on, you just don't feel quite right, it goes on for a few days and you maybe take some medicine, some Advil or something like that, and hoping you'll get better, but it doesn't seem to get better. And days roll into weeks, and, and you spend a few weeks and maybe even a month or month and a half with this same uh, illness, maybe got a, a low-grade fever or something like that, and you say, it's time to go see the doctor. So you go see your general practice doctor, and, and you describe your, uh, your, uh, the, the issues that you're having, your symptoms, and uh, he gets a real concerned look on his face. And uh, he, he says, well, uh, don't mean to alarm you too much, but this, you know, you've got some symptoms that are pretty serious here. And uh, some symptoms that could be uh, fatal. And so uh, I'm not meaning to scare you off too much, but I want us to get these things checked out. And so he, he says, uh, there is a specialist with this uh, down, down in Denton. I want you to go see him. Let's, let's make an appointment for you as soon as you can. So you go see the doctor down in Denton, and he asks you your symptoms. You tell him. He says, well, um, let's, let's run some tests. And so they run all the tests on you. And then when you, uh, he, he calls you back in after they get the results of the test, and you go into him, and he says, well, it's not that. It's not nearly as, as bad as, as you thought. And, and he says, here are the results of your test, and it doesn't show that you had that fatal disease. This is just a, you know, something that we can treat you for and give you some medicine, and you'll be, you'll be cured of it. And you go, what, what a good thing. I think as we read this passage this morning, that's something similar to what the author of Hebrews is doing. He has just given us a, a, a passage um, in uh, verses 4 through uh, 8 that are they're very disturbing. And Christians throughout the years have, have read it and even 
you know, almost any Christian, when he reads it, there begins to be a little doubt in his mind. Have I, have I gone too far? Have I, have, have I apostatized? And if I have, that means there's, there's no hope for me anymore. I, I can't be restored to, to repentance. And uh, that's a scary thing. I don't want to be there. What if, what if that's happened to me? And I think the author of Hebrews knows that he's, as he was writing that, that some might be thinking that way, even though he, he talks in that passage in the third person, talking about those who have once been enlightened um, and those who have, have done all these things. But he's not saying you who have. Um, but even with that, he knows that this, this severe of a warning on them might cause a great deal of concern for some. And he doesn't want them to be concerned unnecessarily. And so he comes as if to come with a different diagnosis in their case. Uh, 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 saying, you know, here in verse 9 he says, even, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we're confident of better things in your case. We're confident of better things. And it's almost as if he's saying, here are the tests. Here are the tests that I've run on you, to, to, and I want you to know that this is the reason for my confidence. I've run these tests, and I know that, that this apostasy is not the case with you. And so this morning, I want us to see these, these tests that he's run, these things that he's observed in those to whom he's writing, and let's look at these things in our lives and say, do I see these things in my life? Do I see these things in my life that the author of Hebrews is saying, I want to encourage you, I'm confident of better things. Do we see these things in our lives that we can say, yes, there's, there's, there should be confidence of better things here. And so the first thing, you, uh, you'll notice I did put an outline in your bulletin this morning. I think it's probably a good thing to do that, so probably we'll start doing this uh, again regularly. Uh, someone had told me that they, <clears throat> they find that my sermons are a lot better when they take notes. And so maybe, maybe this will aid and my sermons will get better. Okay. Anyway, you'll see the first thing there, the first, the first major category that he talks about here when he says, I, I, I'm confident of better things. And the first thing we see is kind of in verse 9 where he says, um, we're confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. And so what are these things that accompany salvation that the author of Hebrews sees in those that, to whom he is writing? And the first thing we see, uh, I, I believe, is in verse 10, where he says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him uh, as you have helped his people and continue to help them. What, what's the first thing that he sees? This thing that accompanies salvation. Well, he says, I see your good works. I see good works there. These are things that accompany salvation. In what way do they accompany salvation? There are different ways that uh, people would look at this. If you're uh, part of the Roman Catholic community, they would say, well, yeah, faith accompanies uh, salvation. Uh, you have justification and works, and that what, that's what makes you to be justified when you have faith plus works then you're justified. And they'll turn you to, uh, to James chapter uh, 2, verse 24. Um, if you want to uh, look at it, you can just jot it down if you're taking notes, right? James 2, 24. Um, we'll read this. 
You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. You go, now wait a minute, Daryl. You say we're reformed and we got all these solas, you know. Uh, sola, uh, sola uh, gratia, sola fide, and sola Christus. And that means that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. And, but here uh, uh, James says it's not by faith alone. Interesting thing here is uh, uh, when, you, when you read from Paul and you see in passages like uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this, uh, uh, this is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. Say it's by faith, it is a gift of God given to you. It's not by your works, that sounds like faith alone, right? So... Is James writing to contradict Paul? I, I, I certainly don't think so. Scripture doesn't contradict itself. And so Paul, in order to stress that our justification is by faith alone, who does he use as his primary uh, person to point back to, look at? Is it Abraham? And he takes us to Genesis chapter 15, and Abraham believed, and God credited it to him as righteousness, right? Interesting thing is that when you reread in James, James uses the same person. It's his illustration that, that we're not justified by faith alone, but by our works as well. But it's interesting the illustration he takes from Abraham. He points back to Abraham to look at what Abraham does with his son, Isaac. You remember? Isaac, who is his, your son, you, the son you love, I want you to take him and sacrifice him. Now, where do we find that in Genesis? It's in Genesis 22. Where do we find that God credits to Abraham uh, his faith is righteousness. Well, that's Genesis 15. You see, the faith that Abraham has that is credited to him to his righteousness comes first. The faith that is there, the faith that brings justification to Abraham is by grace alone, through faith alone. We see that in Genesis 15. Now, what do we see? Later on in Abraham's life, he's been justified by faith. But that faith doesn't live alone. That faith isn't barren of works. That faith exhibits itself in works. And so in Abraham's life, the justification he has by faith produces works in him so that he's able to say, you know what, if even if I kill him, God can raise him from the dead. And so he goes and faithfully does what the Lord tells him to do to sacrifice his son. Now when we read in James chapter 2, the context there is somebody who says, I have faith, but I don't have to have any works to prove it. Right? And James is saying, no, faith is... We're justified by faith alone, but that faith is never alone. That, that If there's truly faith there, it is always accompanied by works. So the author of Hebrews is saying here, you've been justified by faith, and I know it's true because I can see your works. 
Uh, Paul says the same thing in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. You know, that's a place where he's been saying that we're saved by grace, and the, and the more that we sin, God's grace is shown even more. And so somebody would say, well, let's, let's sin more that God's grace would abound more. And he says, you can't do that. If you're truly a child of God, you've been baptized into him, baptized into his death, that doesn't happen. That's not a result of true faith. True faith acts and works and good works. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, I'm confident of better things than you. And part of the reason I'm confident of better things is because I see the good works that accompany salvation in your life. Things that accompany salvation, not things that produce salvation. We need to be able to make that distinction. There certainly is good works in the Christian life, but they're not what bring about our salvation. They're things that accompany it. Secondly, things that accompany, um, that accompany salvation, not only good works, <clears throat> but we see, um, especially down in... in Verse 12, and, and he's comparing here. He's comparing some things that accompany salvation as opposed to things that accompany uh, being reprobate. Um, in verse 6, where he says, if they fall away, it's impossible for them to be brought back to repentance. That's not a good thing. Verse 8, but, the, uh, but land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. He's, now he's going to compare that with reprobate of, the, of what happens with that, the curses, if you will, to these blessings. And we see the blessings in verse 12. These are things that accompany salvation and, not, and do not become lazy, but, uh, uh, and we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. <laughs> what are things that are promised to the believers? What are these things that accompany salvation? Were there blessings, things that have been promised to us? And what are some of these things? Eternal salvation, certainly, right? Eternal life, we believe in Jesus Christ. Eternal life. We're going to find later when we get to Hebrews chapter 11 the blessings of a, uh, of a city that is not made with human hands. It's an eternal city, a heavenly city. And he says, you know what, this is what... And in chapter 11, he's going to say, this is what Abraham and the, and the patriarchs were look, looking forward to, this heavenly city. And the, even though they died not having yet received it, they still knew that God was going to bless them with it because he had promised it to them. In Ephesians chapter 1, we, uh, we read that as Christians, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Now, we possess that now in a certain sense of being uh, children of God, being part of uh, his uh, family, adopted into his family, able to have access right into his throne room at any time. We see the blessings of, of uh, comfort that we have in life that the rest of the world doesn't have. And when trials and hard times come on us, we can rest assured that God is in control and that he is going to work all things together for good. We see so many spiritual blessings that we have right now, but the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of them is still yet to come. So it's an already and a not yet, but we still have these blessings of the promised things that God has given to us. 
And so things that accompany salvation, he says, I see these in you. I see the good works that you have, and I see that you're, you're recognizing the blessings of being a part of God's family and community. Well, he goes on. He says, all right, my diagnosis of you is not only seeing the things that accompany salvation, but very closely related to that, I, uh, my diagnosis is based on uh, evidence of salvation in your life. And what are these things, that uh, this, these evidences, if you're looking on your outline, this is point number two, okay? And there are four things under point number two, so if you want to go A, B, C, D, you can. So. Uh, what are these things that causes the author to have such confidence in them? What are the evidences in their lives? You know, he doesn't say, I, I, I know that you walked the aisle. I was there when you did and saw you walk the aisle and come down forward. He doesn't say, I heard you when uh, the, uh, the preacher gave you a prayer to pray and asked you to repeat after him word for word a prayer, and you prayed that, and I heard that. And so he doesn't say, I saw you that day when you did that. Go to the back of your Bible and write your name in there that this day I accepted Jesus. He's not saying these things. What did he see in them? to make him confident. What evidence of salvation is there in their lives? Well, again in verse 10, this would be A, okay? God is unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Love. Love for the brethren. Do you have love for the brethren? He says, I see that in you. John, in First uh, John, First John 4, 7 and 8, uh, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So the author of Hebrews is saying what John says. If, uh, if there's love there, that's certainly evidence of, of the fact that you've got a new life in Christ. How do they evidence this love? Well, if you look over in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 This is some of the ways that they would uh, evidence their love for one another. He says, remember those earlier days after you'd received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest and facing suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. How did they show their love? Well, with fellow believers who were being treated evilly and wrongly. Uh, they've been other believers who are being persecuted. And he says, I saw you stand side by side with them. We're kind of reminded, I think, at this point of, of uh, what Jesus talks about in the, um, the day of judgment when it comes and there will be those who come before him and he says, you know what? I was, I was hungry and you fed me. I was without clothes, and you clothed me. I was lonely, you came to see me. I was in prison, and you came and visited me. And they'll say, well, when did we do that? And he says, whenever you did it to the least of these brethren of mine, you did it to me. When we show love to 
the brethren, who are we showing love to? We're showing love to God. We're showing love certainly to the brothers in Christ, but we're showing love to, to God too. And he says, you know what? This is evidence of salvation. If you got love, then that's a pretty good indication that there is salvation there. If you treat one another in loving ways, in caring ways, for the needs of one another, that's a pretty good indication. I see that with you. I saw it way back then, even when your brothers and sisters were being persecuted. You stood with them. You were there to love them. A second thing that we see, B, <laughs> under evidences of salvation, not only is there love within you, but look with me in verse 11. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope secure. What else is there? Not only love, but there's hope. He says, I see hope in you. You see the hope that is within you. Now, when you hope for something, you're hoping for something you don't have. If you already have it, why would you hope for it, right? What are we hoping for? We look around the world, we look at the world around us and we go, this isn't the way things are supposed to be. There's too much suffering, there's too much heartache, there's too much hurting. We hope for a time when it's not like this. I hope for a time when when uh, people don't have strokes. Hope for a time when cancer is totally eradicated. I hope for a time when, uh, when there's not evil people in this world. I hope for a time when the creation itself is uh, not, uh, it seemed to be in chaos all the time. Hoping for a better thing. But my hope my hope is not a wishful thinking. My hope and their hope was based on God's promises. And as he promises, you're based on his faithfulness. And so they're hoping and looking for something better brings us to see evidence of, of, of uh, salvation. They're, they love one another. They hope for better things. Uh, things aren't necessarily going the way they should be for all of these Hebrew Christians he's writing to. He says, you're hoping for something better. Um, that's, that's good, and, and, and we want to, uh, it seems to be evidence of your salvation. Look what we in verse 12. See, uh, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the, what has been promised. So we see not only love and hope, but we see faith in this passage as well. Faith uh, is, is, is taking hope to the next step, isn't it? We're hoping for something better, but we're trusting in a God who has promised that something better and in realization that he is going to bring it to pass. Chapter 11, when we get to chapter 11, is all about faith, right? And those who had faith, looking to the promises of God and certain that he was going to fulfill those promises to them. And they go to their death still trusting and knowing that God is going to fulfill them and God will fulfill his promises to them even after their death since they didn't receive the things promised they went to their death still with faith that God was going to fulfill it it's interesting here that these evidences of salvation that we've noticed in this passage these first three love hope and faith you ever hear those three in connection maybe a different order there's faith, hope, and love, right? Where do we see that? 
very famous chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, now abides faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. But that's not the only place we see these three, three themes. It runs throughout the New Testament. You can find it in Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Galatians 5, 5 and 6. Colossians 1, 4 and 5. 1 Thessalonians 1, 3. 1 Peter 1, 21 and 22. And again in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 through 25. This theme of faith, hope, and love runs throughout the New Testament. These are things that are, should be evident in every believer's life. If salvation has truly come to you, these three things are there. And then finally, fourthly, we see uh, in these, these uh, evidences of salvation in our lives, not only love and hope and faith, but verse 11, uh, once again, uh, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope secure, uh, make your hope sure. Diligence to the very end. What is that? Well, it's perseverance, right? Perseverance. We, we live in a society where we give up easily. We see it all the time. Uh, the statistics show that uh, these days, and it might be more than this now, I don't know, that people uh, change jobs at least five times during their working lifetime, their adulthood. Go to at least five different jobs. We see it with, with uh, marriage, too, don't we? 50%, at least 50% of marriages in America wind up in divorce within the first five years. Say, uh, I, can't, I can't make it. I just, I just can't do it anymore. I've got to give up on this person. <laughs> we see it with churches, too, don't we? We get upset about the color of the carpet in the particular church, and we're going to go find another one. Or maybe someone said something to us last Sunday and maybe they didn't mean any offense, but we took offense and we're not going to put up with that anymore. We've got to go somewhere else. And churches become so much like candy and vending machines. And uh, for a while we're going to pull the plug on one, but then when we get tired of that, well, let's go to the other one. And we see, uh, we see people church hopping not really perseverance. We're called to be diligent to the end, even in the midst of trials and hardships and difficulties. These people were putting up with some pretty difficult things, and they, it was going to get worse for them. He says, but I, I've seen in you perseverance. We talk about perseverance of the saints, right? If you're truly a saint, then you do persevere to the end, even, even in the midst of hardships and trials and difficulties. And the author of Hebrews is writing to them and saying, I see that in you. I've seen your love. I've seen your hope. I've seen your faith. I've seen your perseverance. I've seen the fact in your perseverance that, as he mentions here in verse 12, we do not want you to become lazy. You, you haven't become lazy in the midst of all this. You persevered. You, you, you stood your ground. So this morning, as the author of Hebrews is looking at the Hebrew Christians he's writing to, and he's saying, you know what, I know I, I gave a, a kind of a harsh um, uh, a thing here just before this, uh, 
looking at life and seeing those who apostatize. I know that's harsh as you look at it, and there could be some fear, but I want to know I've got a different diagnosis in your life. I see that there is certainly evidence of salvation in your life. I've seen the love and the hope and the faith and the perseverance that you have. I've seen those things that accompany salvation in your life where you are doing good works and where you're believing in the blessings that God has promised to you. I ask you this morning, are any of these things uh, exhibited in your life? These are the things that gives the author of Hebrews confidence in their salvation. As you look in your life and you say, well... It's not perfect, but I do see it there. <laughs> These sorts of things, as we look at them, should be able to encourage us and give us confidence that God truly is holding it onto us and will enable us to persevere to the very end. If you're not seeing these things in your life, um, maybe you should pray that God would graciously begin to produce them in your life that your life would be more and more conformed to the image of Christ, and that it is more and more conformed to his image, you would see these things in your life and bring confidence that this, this apostasy is not something that has happened to you. Well, let's pray.